please do your own research. Nothing here is investment advice. It takes some chutzpah to think that we might have something fresh to say about a business that's been around as long as Heiko. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. Well, this is, yeah, there's obviously good reason why I basically have a panic attack every time I hit send <laughs> or publish on, a, on, a, on, a, on anything, to be honest, <laughs> anything that we write, but especially Heiko, which is, which I think Heiko's been public longer than I've been alive. <laughs> I think it was, I think it started in the sixties, which is <laughs> new longer than my dad's been alive. So yeah, it's, it's always fun trying to add value and stuff like that. But I think one, it's funny because it's been public and obviously been done so well, but one hypothesis that I've had for a while is that the aftermarket is still this kind of opaque, dark underworld where nobody really knows, nobody really knows what's, what's going on, you know, and no one's really been able to tell me very clearly, uh, well, at least investors that I've known that have owned Hiker, how an airline chooses a PMA or a DER, USM or OEM part, or like how that even works in that, that, in that process, you know? So, or frankly, how Hiker works, because Hiker is just not just PMA. And I think everyone gets caught, caught up with the whole, with the, with the buzzword PMA, but it's a, it's a much, it's not even half the story. So I think that was the, that was the that was the hypothesis was that to, you know how can we actually understand how the aftermarket works and obviously they bought Wencor and so we used Wencor the Wencor deal as a way to really understand the strategic rationale of why they made that acquisition and then also link that into you know for example why why Heiko and Wencor is vertically integrated and how those businesses interlink or interplay with each other to create a much more robust entity that is much more than just a PMA shop. Well, let's look a little bit about this in, in the broader context of how we go about identifying what, what to do work on and what can be studied fruitfully that, that may have an increased likelihood of, of shedding insight into a, a fundamental aspect of, of a business like, like Heiko. What is it? Let's, let's talk about the history of, of, of you looking at this company because it's been a few years now. Mm. I guess I'm always looking at many companies and they just come to fr fruition and some die out and some become, you know, I get more intriguing. But I, I think there's, you know, one thing that I've learned is that there's, especially with, especially with industrials or B2B businesses or something that's a bit more, um, yeah, where there's a B2B transaction is that there's a lot more, underlying dynamics or, or intricacies involved that, that, that are not clear from just reading the filings or doing the, the standard work analysis would do and read, speaking to management, all that kind of stuff. And for, and for example, that's how a lot of our work on Heiko or, or, or credit acceptance has come from, right? For example, and what we've realized is that actually we're in a very, very interesting spot to do primary research to, to share insights on that specific core driver or, or, or dynamic that is a question that's just, just crucial to the intrinsic value. For example, for credit acceptance, well, how do dealers choose lenders, right? And that specific, like, and I always say, like, to, you know, to our guys as well, like, put yourself in a dealer's shoes. Like, 
that's not just an easy, it's not just a given, right? They have a whole workflow they go through. They press buttons on their own ERP. Like, how does that all work? What drives them to choose CAC versus Westlake? You know, and so we we done a survey on CAC by by sourcing lend you know dealers who to understand how they choose lenders. Same thing with Heiko's. We we re- we realized that actually it's not too clear on on why Heiko own these different assets across the value chain, or why an airline MRO chooses a Heiko PMA versus an OEM. And actually, when you when you dig into it, you realize that. Well, it's much more complex than just Heiko competing with the OEMs. Sometimes they partner with them. In fact, they partner with them so much, they even create PMAs with them, right? You know, so you would never read about a private label PMA from the Mendelssohn's. You know, so I, I think there's, there's a lot of interesting dynamics when you, when you, when you source the right executives and we're working on, it's not even just for B2B businesses, actually. For example, for Wayfair, you know, which would, you typically class as a B2C company, or they do they do earn B2B revenue from their from their suppliers. But a key a key hypothesis or a key part of the bull case for Wayfair is that is that Castlegate penetration is going to increase. Castlegate is is pretty much the think of it as like fulfilled by Wayfair instead of Amazon for large and bulky furniture products. You know, the hypothesis is that lots of suppliers are going to use, are going to stock inventory in Wayfair's warehouses to then ship it quicker and cheaper. But actually, like, you know, how do you, how would you validate that? Well, let's go and speak to 20 suppliers. Now, obviously, there's a sample problem and you're going to have to face the biases and stuff like that. But I think we're in a pretty good spot. We've realized that if we can, if we can understand what drives the value for these companies? If we can, you know, craft a, craft a hypothesis with certain variables that we can test or at least or at least question. And then how do we actually source these people, which is the kind of secret source, right? And why we even exist and have a job. It's like, how do we actually get into these networks of, of industries? How do we source the right people? And then, you know, and then it just becomes a curation game of just sharing the insights that we learn. Because you know? I have no clue about why suppliers are going to choose Wayfair or why an airline MRO chooses Heiko. You know? So we're just we're just a level of curation on top of that insight. So back to Heiko specifically. Now, what I love about reading a piece like that is that, and and I and I don't see this a lot. It's it's getting into the very specific mechanics of how the system works, right? Whether it's the, the whether it's Heiko's business model, whether it's you know, so so let's let's get into that that process and and the sequencing that you've been through of interviews of the work to be able to publish and you know, as you're saying, you have a panic attack when you hit publish, right? The work's out there now. Now I just have a panic attack every time I open it. <laughs> Let's look at, at finding the people, finding the people and sequencing the conversations. I think, you know, to be honest, part of it is, part of it is an unconscious curiosity towards it. And then, and then the second part is more of a conscious systematic approach. Um, but you know, sometimes it's, well, I always question myself in terms of am I looking in the right spec? Am I looking at the right businesses? Like what? Why? Why even look at Heiko in the first place? And what? 
know, why? And I think there's a, just there's just a sense that I mean, there's clear, clearly well, their record obviously speaks for itself, and Transdime does. These are probably two of the purest commercial aerospace aftermarket businesses out there. Probably, I think, two of the most successful aerospace companies. So that obviously tells you a lot. Um, but then when you start to really dig in, you can't really understand much about how any of this actually works. And to be honest, like you can't tell much about any public company from the filings, really, and how it works. But these companies specifically are quite opaque in how they group their, how they group and segment their businesses and how they report, um, how they report their their financials. Um, and then it's just then it's just a case of of going back to first principles, right? And looking at how you know I, I, it may sound silly and kind of basic, but and it probably is. But I, I just think how do we, how does a unit flow, right? Okay, you manufacture a plane. Right, a plane has a life. You know, the asset has a certain lifetime. Those components have a lifetime. Like I just follow the component. Go through. You know, where does that component go? How does it get to where it goes? Each stage of the process. And before you know it, you've gone from you know Honeywell manufacturing a certain valve, you know, onto onto Airbus on A320 or or, or a seven three seven or whatever platform it might be. That flight, you know, Delta buys that plane leased from Aircap. Right, or or, or 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 any leasing company, if you're Ryanair, or Wizz Air, or whatever it may be, that air, that airframe goes for a you know forty fifty year platform cycle. The air the air the aircraft flies a certain amount of hours. Those hours wear the wear the component down and wear the engine down. All those parts they go into MRO. Okay, then okay, now you're at the actual question, right? Which is now it comes into the aftermarket, which is all right. You, this part is now repair and maintenance. What happens? Just take me back to that start. And I think that's where, you know, it took me ages to just to get to that point, right? Of like, you know, well, where does it start? And even then, it's because you think it's, it's so complicated. There's a couple million parts on an airplane, right? There's engines, there's, air, there's the aero structure and the airframe, and there's the, you know, the whole engine has a completely different supply chain. The components and bearings, there's hundreds of thousands of components and and parts on a plane like what one are you talking about they have certainly different you know lifetimes repairs and all that kind of stuff so it's that's also part of the if i look back and think why isn't this well why is there not a product like this out there you know because i would have bought <laughs> i tried to find someone to tell me this right it's partly why i done it because i couldn't find anyone to explain to me how it worked but it's basically because it's highly complex and highly fragmented you know we found some mro guys that didn't even know you know never looked at an engine before in their life or never looked at a, you know, APU or whatever it may be. There's certain, like whole certain segments of the airplane are completely different worlds and ecosystems. So like just finding people to, that has a holistic view of, of, of that value chain and, and that, and that certain way that industry works is takes a while just to find that, find those people. And then, yeah. And then, and then obviously just follow the part, right? So you're, you're at the MRO, Oh, you're at the airline, you know, the air, the, the aircraft comes in for maintenance. But even just thinking about, okay, what type of maintenance is there? Right. Well, when, when do you maintain a plane? At what point? How many, you know, how many hours? Obviously it's different parts. Okay. Well, what type of checks do you do? Who does those checks? Okay. Then you get a part. Well, then where does the part go? And then you realize, okay, well, then the airline has a certain MRO process. Right. And then you go for the MRO process and, and Heiko has MROs, Wenko has MROs. 
but so do the airlines, so do, so do other players. And then you look at the MRO industry, right? So when you look at HICO, it's not just PMAs, which most people just typically just talk about. Right? Just talk about, oh, you know, they're saving OEM, saving costs for the airline on OEMs, on OEM parts. And they have a whole ecosystem around them that, that enable them to operate in that aftermarket. And they have, they have MRO shops that do certain specialized work. You know, just, you keep, you just keep following the parts. So I think it's, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of just, following your intuition, your curiosity, and then having some kind of structured framework to walk through an, an industry from first principles that then, you know, and lead you to, again, like, you know, I'm asking the kind of very, very simple questions. <laughs> and and, and it, I think the, the biggest risk I still catch myself doing is like just assuming that I know right? and jumping through those, those stages and, and you don't know. <laughs> you never know, right? I've never sold an airplane part in my life. So how would I know? How would I assume that I know the MRO shop, what they think? Never even been in the MRO shop. <laughs> so I think it's part of the, I think that's part of the lesson that I try and check myself with all the time is just, just, yeah, just leave your ego at the door because you just don't know. And the simple questions and going back to first principles actually lead you into those, yeah, those call them answers that are not even answers, right? They're just, how an industry might function and then you yeah and then that that's that's not even the actual discussion on like how how heiko and wencore are strategically approaching that industry that's just like how let's just lay out how it works right which requires patience yeah a couple of years probably or at least three four months working on this specifically but then yeah and then well, we're just lucky though, right? We're just lucky we're in this game and, and frankly, I have an unlimited research budget. If that takes me a hundred calls, it takes me a hundred calls, but ideally it takes me 20 or 10. As, as you get better and, you know, good, you can spend less, but frankly, we're lucky that we're in this game that we can, the, the, you know, we have a research budget from as, as long as it takes. I think as part of what we've been training our guys on is like, how, how do you get to that point more effectively and more, you know, quickly without trying to spend 20, 30, 40 calls on, on getting to the answer? Well, another thing we've been talking about with the guys is, is can, you be, can you cultivate a willingness not to jump to conclusions, right? That you, you, can, you can do a few calls, you start getting dangerous after four or five, but that's probably the most dangerous time you could start forming an opinion and, and that's what everyone does, right? It's, it's, I think we, we spend a lot of time observing, you know, our, our, our colleagues in the industry doing work and, you know, you, you get, you get three, four, five, six calls deep and, and there's this great danger of thinking that you've, you've figured something out. And, and in many cases, in this case in particular, I mean, every business is different, right? And some stuff you can get to the bottom of in, in three, four, five calls. But when it comes to understanding the nature of a business as it's as it operates in a a complex and opaque value chain, like being like just watching you cultivate and, and I think both of us drilling the team on on get good at not having an answer for a while. Like that's no, you never you never really have many answers, right? You know, so you just have a hypothesis and just keeps evolving. You never and, and have you got good questions and and maybe you know as we wrap up this chat on Heiko, talk a little bit about what the best questions are. One in the sense of well, let's say let's say that the key questions that you've explored in this piece, and secondly, 
what you think the most important questions are that we will continue to investigate over the coming years as it relates to Heiko and Transdyne for that matter. Well, I think there's a couple of things that there. There's firstly there's the, there's a there's a philosophy of how to approach this work, and I think that's where you know a lot of people. And, and by the way, like some people, if you've been studying aerospace for ages, you might just know this, or at least think you know how how the aftermarket works, right? So you don't need to do this type of work. You go straight to the jugular, effectively, right? But but a lot of people may jump straight to okay. Heiko Wenkel, what's the synergies? Like, tell me the, you know, the PMA overlap. Tell me the, you know, what's the margin improvement from LMRO, right? They'll typically jump straight to, you know, you know, you've seen it. We've seen it, right? At the expert network. As soon as a deal would happen, we'd have 20 funds, right? <laughs> All speak to the same exec, asking the same questions about what's the margin improvement? What's the re- organic, <laughs> what's revenue improvement? With no, with, you know, well, they might have a framework which, which to base that on. But, but I'm I'm pretty sure. It's, I mean, it's it's even very difficult to find truly. I usually, I still don't even know exactly how like the PMA revenue of Wenkor and, and Heiko individually. They don't. It's impossible. Even some execs don't know exactly what it, what what it is. So, you know, if you ask if you ask an executive what's the margin improvement, you just get you get you get an opinion. You get an you get an answer. You get no framework of how to how to base that on. So I think it's a philosophy of how to approach this type of work. Like I just explained before about going, walking through, you know, walking through that unit flow of a component, you know, going through that flow and and going through that kind of decision-making at each stage from, from each party, you know? And, And I think that the, the aftermarket will always have those, interflowing dynamics that are changing. Like for example, you know, the OEMs now, the, the airframe OEMs are, are taking back part of their aero structures, right? So that they're, they're kind of in the in the 90s they outsourced a lot of of, of their they basically wanted to become pure assembly businesses, more less manufacturing. They're taking back more of their aero structures. So it's, Stuff like that completely changes the su- the supply chain and the power dynamics across the industry, right? Uh, like those decisions. And you know, there's one quote that, that that one executive gave me, which was, you know, "The aerospace industry is an inverted pyramid." You know, and the OE, every, Boeing and Airbus think that they they own the power, but really, the really the the suppliers have the power, and, and Boeing and Airbus are at the mercy of the suppliers because they've relied, they've outsourced so much of their supply chain that actually, for just-in-time manufacturing and supply chain, they rely so, they rely perfectly on efficient supply chain and, and, and parts manufacturing. They actually, the suppliers have them. And I think Trans, Transdime basically realized that where Boeing, in, in, the, in the I think it was in the 80s and 90s, their CEO was on a kind of ROE, a return on equity Rampage, rampage and basically wanted to ramp ramp that ROE metric had that as a kind of KPI and he outsourced all of his all of his kind of supply chain effectively to the tier ones and tier twos and so that whole like that whole supply chain has been in flux they've been taking it back they've been offloading some there's always those questions around you know how the how these how these companies Heiko and Transdime are positioned in how much bargaining power they have because really, they're they're just selling parts on someone else's platform, you know. So there's always a there's always a dynamic between 
the airframe, uh, buying an Airbus, the OEM, the tier one, tier two OEM manufacturer that owns the IP, and then and then the aftermarket providers that are just supplying and being the kind of cogs to the, to the wheel effectively. And that, that's always in flux, depending on how the supply chain or how the value chain is structured and restructured. But there'll always be there'll always be times where we're where we're going to be exploring those questions from first principles about how yeah who who has who has bargaining power in the in the, in the value chain really you know and and that's the kind of part part of the exploration around Transdime is again you know and I still haven't anyone told me it's always different when I. I've been studying Transdime for a while as well, and no one can truly tell me exactly how and when they buy a Transdime part, you know, obviously a Transdime operating company, right? And what that actually looks like. Tell, show me the invoice that you get from them. Right? That's what I say to people. Show me, like, what does it look like? One year to the next. Do you get, like, you are you, are you really getting, you know, three, four times price hikes when they buy it? Show me the invoice. What does it look What do they say? Who, who, you know, who says it to you? And going through that process, and, and actually, it's not clean on every single situation. Like some companies, some companies, the airlines can't even tell that it's a transdime company. So I, I think there's a lot of actual mechanics that we can that we can flow walk through in the aftermarket that basically hit on these questions of, yeah, how. How is how much pricing power does Transdime really have? How can they continue to grow organically? And they're very different businesses, but they both play in this somewhat opaque aftermarket that I think, you know, if we do our work properly, we can really we can really add value. <laughs>